Good morning, Buffalo City Church. How are you? All right. One person is good. <laughs> oh, I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> so, uh, since I had this car with rear-wheel drive, which has no earthly business, uh, existing in North Dakota, at least between the months of October and April, uh, my brother Keaton had become accustomed to picking me up uh, from my off-campus apartment uh, to take me to my early morning classes a few times a week in 2006 while I was attending uh, NDSU. And for those of you that might not be familiar with NDSU, uh, the campus is located in North Fargo, um, which means that for my apartment near 45th Street, kind of around Shields, if you know that area, um, we had to head north on I-29 until we reached the exit for 12th Avenue. And truthfully, it didn't seem to matter what time we left in the morning. That exit was always congested with students commuting to campus. And it never failed that students were either running late or that they felt the need that they had to floor it and get in front of as many people as they could uh, to, in order to, uh, to get to their class uh, on time, uh, while the rest of us, myself included, were patiently waiting our turn. And one morning, that car line was especially long, which left Keaton and I at a standstill just off of I-29 uh, before the, uh, the 12th Avenue exit. And as we were crawling our way along, uh, we had almost reached the Staymart. You guys know where the Staymart is, at? Staymart is at? I think it's still there. It's been a while since I've been there. But where the Staymart is at, when some dude decides uh, that the rules of the road didn't apply to him, and he gunned his foreign import car, you know, those that sound like they're running on beans, those kind of cars that drive me crazy. Uh, uh, and with this yearning for justice, we quickly decided that we were the only ones who could stop this guy uh, uh, from, from breaking the law, from doing something unjust. Uh, and so we decided to cut him off at the pass. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, at the time, we thought it was done in pretty epic fashion. Um, and as this obnoxiously loud import car was about to merge into traffic, um, my brother's 1999 Ford F-150 uh, sped past him at the last second, which caused him to slam on the brakes. You could hear the wheel screeching. You could hear smoke, or you could see smoke coming from the tires. It was great. Um, and then all of these other cars, at least like 12 to 15 other cars, who had been patiently waiting their turn, passed by him before he was finally able to merge. Uh, Keaton and I, we couldn't have been happier with that outcome. Uh, we laughed and we gave each other a high five. See, justice had been served. Or had it been. Friends, would you open up your copy of God's Word? Uh, we're going to be reading from and studying from Isaiah 42. In uh, just the first four verses, would you stand with me as this is God's Word for us, God's people? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Friends, you can be seated. So as we see in this short section of Scripture, so there's only four verses, right? 
but we find the term justice being used three times. The first, uh, in verse 1, is uh, we read, bringing forth justice to the nations, which is going to be the first thing that we tackle this morning before moving on to faithfully bringing forth justice and then finally addressing the establishment of justice in the earth. So with this theme of justice uh, ringing throughout the text, it's important that we ask the question, what does Isaiah mean when he says justice? So we live in this society that has all of these different meanings of justice and what, what that actually means, right? But I found the, the way that Ray Ortland, uh, in a commentary that he wrote on Isaiah, um, the way that he described it is very helpful. He says that Isaiah's thinking of more than legal correctness God has this blueprint for human existence. He knows how human beings and human society can be at their best. He knows how to make us happy and fulfilled. And through his servant Jesus, he's bringing his plan down from heaven to reorder human civilization in a beautiful way. God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we were made for it. Friends, would you look at verse 1 again with me and look at the way that God the Father introduces his servant. He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And this imagery in Isaiah 4 verse 1, it reminds us a lot of Matthew 3, 16 and 17 where we read, that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You see, there's only one servant who fits the Father's criteria for administering justice to the nations, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we live in this world that wants us to buy into this lie that we are the chosen one. Friends, we're not. You're not the chosen one. I'm not the chosen one. In fact, our flesh is constantly waging war with our spirit to usurp the role of judge, which was never intended for you. It was never intended for me or for any one of us, except for Jesus Christ alone. See, one of the primary reasons why we, even as Christians, do this is because we don't trust God to get the job done. We fear that if justice is left up to Jesus, then it will never be served. And so what do we do? We take matters into our own hands, right? Can't tell you how many times in my life I'll be like, God's not going to take care of this, so I better do it. I know what's best. It's what my brother and I decided uh, that was best for us to do. There there was injustice happening. This driver was going to budge in line. He didn't wait his turn. It's what we do when we act passively, aggressively towards someone that embarrasses us. It's what we do when we take to social media about the government coming for our guns or about the Pledge of Allegiance being removed from our schools or the way we talk down to others who refuse to get the COVID vaccine. We say, we post, we do all these things because we believe that we have the final say-so. That justice rests with me. It rests on my shoulders. So how does this belief 
that justice rests with us, how does this belief stack up with what's written in God's word? Well, Romans 12, 19, the Apostle Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. John chapter 5, verse 22, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Brothers and sisters, these are just a few verses disproving that belief that we are the judge. You see, if we believe in the infallible word of God, if we believe that the Bible, the book in front of you, if we believe that it's true, then it should be very evident that justice does not belong to us. And not only that, but if we steal the role of judge from Jesus, then we will have to answer to him about why we did it. You see, friends, if we don't fear the Lord, then we had better start doing so. The wrath of God is downplayed far too much. In John 8, 23 and 24, Jesus says, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And as we read all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, God is the great I am. You see, God is going to be who he's going to be, and he's going to do whatever it is that he wants to do. In one sense, the Lord is telling us, his people, he's telling Christians, don't worry about it. I've got things under control. You see, Scripture is not indicating that God's people should not be concerned about justice or about matters of injustice. In fact, Christians should be deeply concerned about justice issues and should take courageous efforts and courageous steps to advocate for the marginalized, such as the poor and the unborn. Amos chapter 5, verse 24 tells believers that they should live in such a way that lets justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. It means learning how to live in this tension of speaking the truth of the gospel into people's lives while simultaneously not driving them to the point of saying, I can't stand you. You see, brothers and sisters, we have the responsibility to stand against injustice as it relates to Scripture. But bringing forth justice to the nations belongs to Jesus alone. And when Christ returns, when he comes back to put an end to all that is contrary to his will, everything that is unjust will be made just. See, guys, everything is going to be okay. You ever just need to hear that everything is going to be okay? That makes me want to say amen. I know we have Baptist roots, so that's okay. It's going to be okay. This whole mess that we are experiencing 
is going to be worked out. I love how Psalm 89.14 says, it reminds us of this. It says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before him. Friends, fear not. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. And as someone who regularly puts his foot in his mouth, one of my favorite things about Jesus is that he knew exactly what to say and exactly at the right time. Jesus' approach was the antithesis of the one taken by Cyrus, whom Isaiah says shall trample on rulers as a mortar as the potter treads clay. And in reference to God's servant, Jesus, the Old Testament scholar Barry Webb has this to say. He says that he will not be a military conqueror like Cyrus. The source of his strength will be the Spirit of God. The instrument of his rule will be the Word of God. His manner will be gentle rather than overbearing. And his mission will involve him in personal suffering. Gentleness. Gentleness, it's an action that has not only become scarce, but is one that is belittled and is demeaned by our culture. When was the last time that you ever saw someone boasting about their gentleness? You know, imagine that rather than posting selfies of that new bicep vein that you got while you were, you know, clanging and banging at the gym, or, or uh, the fact that you've lost several inches around your love handle section, you know, that section that's so hard to lose weight from. You know, rather than, rather than posting about that, imagine someone sharing stories about treating others with dignity and with kindness, stories where grace is being extended without anything being asked for in return. You see, Jesus didn't simply act kind. Jesus was kind. Jesus didn't simply act gentle. He was gentle. He is gentle. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isaiah does such a beautiful job of displaying the coming servant's gentleness in verses 2 and 3. He writes, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So what in the world does that mean? What, what, what does Isaiah mean by a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench? Well, in short, it means that Jesus was patient and he was gentle to people that were damaged. I like how Ortland says that Cyrus stepped on people, but when Jesus rose in history, he did not break a bruised reed or quench a faintly burning wick. When Matthew quotes this text in the New Testament, he says, it was fulfilled when Jesus was healing sick people and Jesus was quiet about it. He gave suffering people their lives back and he didn't use use his success with them to take advantage of them or promote himself. No destructive swagger, no brutal grasping, a gentle servant brings forth justice to the nations. 
And as we read scripture, friends, as we read the gospels, we should be amazed by the way that Jesus doesn't brag about himself or how he doesn't blow his own horn after working one of his many miracles. You see, guys, the, the, the man, think about some of the stories that we've heard. The, the man used spit covered mud to restore this dude's sight. Isn't that crazy? He spit into dirt, rubbed it on a guy's eyes, and he could see again. He fed 5,000 people with a little boy's sack lunch. And he brought Lazarus back from the dead who was in his tomb for four days. You know, folks, you and I, we, we let everyone know if we make it on the front page of the Jamestown Sun for raking our leaves. Right? I mean, I, I would share that with people. It's big news. You see, Jesus is the only one that can faithfully bring forth justice because he embodies Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Jesus does nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility he counts others more significant than himself. He submitted himself to this lowly human existence where he was interrupted, he was inconvenienced, he was mocked, and eventually he was murdered by the very people that he considered, the very people that he considered to be more significant than himself. You know, friends, it hit me earlier this week as I was writing this sermon that I'm just as guilty as the first century Jews and Romans that murdered Jesus because I also murdered him. Yet he counts me as more significant than himself? Like, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm an absolute no one. And then the creator of the cosmos, the one who made the day and the night, allowed himself to be unjustly treated so that I could escape an eternity from hell? Are you kidding me? You see, friends, if we say that we love Jesus, we say it, if, we, if it comes out of our lips, then our thoughts and actions better be backing up those words. I'm preaching to myself here too. I'm preaching to myself too. You see, one of the ways that the servant will faithfully bring forth justice is through the initiative taken by his bride, that is us, his church. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 instructs believers to learn to do good. Learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And perhaps you're wondering how you, a person living in Jamestown, North Dakota, can seek justice and correct oppression. How in the world can we know what that looks like? Well, we find the answer to this question in Micah 6.8, which a lot of us are probably familiar with. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. And sometimes we approach matters of, of justice in the wrong frame of mind. We accept this lie that there are only two options. The first option is that we have to solve all matters of injustice. Or secondly, we don't attempt to deal with any of it. If I can't do all of it, I'm not going to do any of it. You know, it's this mentality of either hitting a home run or just be like, meh, I'm, I'm not going to play the game. 
But you see, as the old saying go, goes, Rome wasn't built in a day, neither will injustice come to an end quickly. That is, unless King Jesus comes back. But until that day, that day when Christ comes back to obliterate injustice once and for all, the church, you guys, me, the church, we have been commissioned by God to faithfully bring forth justice. And I believe that faithfulness requires an honest, introspective look at ourselves. So question, how is your attitude, how are your actions aligning with God's word? Friends, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then your identity is clearly defined in 1 Peter 2.9. It says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And once we were bought with the precious blood of Jesus, we forfeited our rights to live for ourselves. If your faith has been placed in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then you have been stamped with the words, property of the king. And brothers and sisters, the king, he calls the shots. Sarah and I have been working especially hard at disciplining our daughter lately, and it seems like the gist of it always goes something like, you need to be kind. You need to be kind. Guys, as Christians, we need to be kind. We can't proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light if we're too busy talking about someone behind their back. The church is meant to draw people to Christ, not to push them further away. They're already further away. And you know, with all that Jesus endured through his lifetime, I'm floored by the servant's resolve in the face of unending injustice. Verse 4 tells us that Jesus will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. You guys get this, the servant, he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get tired. The chosen one of the Lord, he never gets down in the dumps. He never has a case of the Mondays. Jesus is the best of the best, and he will not stop until his mission has been accomplished. Jesus is batting 1,000. He's always batted 1,000, and he always will bat 1,000. The servant's work is to establish justice in the earth, and he does this by calling sinners out of their idolatry and the self-made dungeons of darkness that they've locked themselves inside. You know, friends, the unfortunate reality is that Injustice doesn't just take place at the Mexican border or in downtown Minneapolis, but it takes place in our hearts. Our natural tendency is to trust our own wisdom, to trust our own potential over that of anyone else's, including God's. A few days ago, I was sitting on our couch at at our house throwing myself this uh, pretty extravagant pity party. Does anybody else do that? Someone raise their hand. Thank you. Saw like three of you. God bless you. Just throwing myself this pity party. I was so aggravated with God. 
so aggravated with his lack of understanding about efficiency and proper procedure. God's timing is perfect. Well, it is if it aligns with mine. No. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's just funny or if it's just pathetic that I think that I know better than God does. Of course, not long afterwards, I came across Job 38, uh, where God asked Job, um, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its, or, or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You know, he could have been asking me those exact same questions, and I would have sat there and stammered. And I like to envision Job saying, okay, okay, God, I get it, I get it. And God saying, whoa, 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 I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb when I made clouds, its garment and thick darkness, its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Now, if you want to read the rest of Job 38 after church, you should totally do it. It's basically another 30 verses of God putting Job in his place. It's, it's wonderful. It's what I needed to hear. See, Christians, we are called to play a role in bringing about justice in the earth, but none of us are qualified to call the shots. The Lord and his word call the shots. Isaiah spoke very clearly about this in Isaiah 9, where he writes, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of, a, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from his time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, friends, we need to stop placing our hope in idols and to start placing it in Jesus Christ, the chosen one, the servant of God. Your wallet, your health, your marriage, your career, your political party, it doesn't matter what it is, it will not provide security. It will not provide hope. So what does give us hope? What gives us humanity hope? Hope for the injustice that is plaguing our planet. Well. Isaiah does that for us in the following four verses, verses five through nine. He says, thus says God, the Lord, thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens and outstretched and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Friends, the days of the evil one, they are numbered. Amen. 
The evil one is going to be defeated. And when Jesus returns, he's going to take injustice behind the proverbial woodshed, and that's the last that we will ever hear from him. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you're feeling personally beaten down by injustice, or if you're feeling suffocated under the weight of injustice taking place throughout our country or across our globe, then be reminded of the truth of verse 3. Why don't you give your Bibles, put your finger right on verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is kind. And if you're in Christ Jesus, and you're in the other, and you're in the presence of other believers like you are this morning, you can confidently and you can boldly proclaim that everything will be okay. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your servant, Jesus Christ, who came into the earth to make order out of chaos, who is even now sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. Father, we look forward to the day when your Son returns to once and for all obliterate injustice. Father, I pray that the enemy would know that his days are numbered. Lord, I thank you for your church, your bride. I thank you specifically for Buffalo City Church, our local church. God, would you mobilize us? Would you encourage us? Would you convict us, Lord, to go forth and to proclaim the excellencies of you who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light so that others could experience the freedom that comes only through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.